Worship in the World is a screen-free worship experience brought to you by Downtown Church. Downtown Church is a community of unfinished people based in Columbia, South Carolina. We believe in asking honest questions while we strive to follow Christ with our own communities, loving people wherever they find themselves on their faith journey. Thank you for being with us today.
Testament, the book of First John, chapter 1, the scripture reads, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Let us confess our sins. God, we bow humbly before you, confessing our sin, acknowledging what we'd rather not acknowledge. Truth is, we'd rather ignore the obvious. We speak of love for you while demonstrating disdain for our neighbors. We have so much to be thankful for, yet we still find something to complain about. We avoid accountability and deny responsibility every chance we're given. We want change as long as we don't have to change. So often our actions demonstrate that we take for granted and don't appreciate the beauty of this world you created. Have mercy, O oh God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hear our silent prayers. Family, though God's forgiveness is one that we do not deserve, it is one that is available to us. The good news is that in the name of Jesus the Christ, we are forgiven, called to forgive. Love, called to love. Let us live in peace with God and one another. Amen. At some point over recess, the podium was lowered down, um, so I have not grown. <laughs> if I look a little weird up here. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, continuing with our theme, exploring lesser talked about characters in the Bible. Today we're looking about Joseph and Jesus' familial unit. Hear now God's word to us today. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when Jesus was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. 
When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of the travelers, they went on their day's journey. And then they started to look for him among travelers and friends. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I'd be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. And then he went down with them and came to Nazareth. He was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This starts as a tense family moment. Where have you been, son? We've been looking for you for three days. Uh, Didn't you realize I was going to be in my father's house? Jesus is disrespectful. He's downright sassy. He pretty quickly makes Mary and Joseph's worry their own problem, not his. And his word choice calling the temple his father's house does a couple of things. Firstly, it affirms that Jesus isn't just some moody preteen rebelling against his parents. I mean, he is that. But he's also the son of God, the son of the Jewish God who was worshiped at the temple. He's the savior of the world. He's God incarnate as a child, and he's asking these advanced theological questions and inspiring adults in the temple. But secondly, Jesus calling the temple my father's house is a slap in the face to Joseph. Preteens have a way of cutting deep. Whether he intended to or not, Jesus reminds Joseph of his role. He's not Jesus' father. He's a stepdad. In the New Testament, Jesus on numerous occasions refers to God, the creator of heavens and earth, as his father. As a teacher, he tells his disciples that they ought to do the will of the father. And on the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But in the New Testament, he doesn't once call Joseph dad. And Joseph is an interesting character. I mean, we hear about him every year around December. If you grew up in a church like mine, some lucky fourth grader would put on a fake beard and play him in the Christmas pageant. I never got to do it, but I'm not salty about it or anything. But the oldest Christian manuscripts, the stories of the early Jesus followers, the letters of Paul and the Gospel of Mark, they don't even mention Joseph. He appears to be a bit of an afterthought. 
I mean, he appears in Matthew and Luke briefly at the beginning of his life. But Joseph's last mention in the Bible is in what we read today, when Jesus is 12. So of the like 1,500 pages in the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, Joseph is around for like 15 or 20 of them. Mary sticks around, but Joseph fades away. And to fill the gaps around Joseph and Jesus' family, there's this 5th century manuscript from Egypt called The History of Joseph the Carpenter. It was originally written in Coptic and found in some version of the Apocrypha, meaning like the bonus features of the Bible. And it's written as this first-person perspective of Jesus talking about his father, Joseph. It's pretty dense, so I'll give you the highlights. Jesus gives a background on Joseph. He tells how Joseph had a family before Mary. And with that family, he had four sons and two daughters. But his wife died of sickness. And as a widowed man, he returns to being a skilled carpenter. But eventually, many years pass, and as an older man, he's told by the chief priests that he needs to marry this young virgin named Mary. And she would give birth to the Messiah, the Savior. And then the majority of this book is a singular scene between a young Jesus and Mary gathered at Joseph's dying bedside. For anyone who's been at someone's dying bedside, you know what a holy and difficult place that can be. Joseph prays a long prayer to God. He asks God to forgive him of his many sins. And Jesus tells Joseph many times how he loves him. And he calls him my father of the flesh. And then when Joseph dies, Jesus prays over his body. And then Jesus weeps over his body as he places it into the tomb. And that's basically it. This is a rather different portrayal of the bond between Joseph and Jesus compared to his mostly absent role in the Gospels. So much of theology and history is putting different perspectives in conversation with one another. And the fruits of this conversation tell me that Jesus' relationship with Joseph and Mary is complicated. On one hand, he is deeply connected with and close with his stepfather. He's at his bedside, praying with him, and eventually weeping over his corpse. And then on the other hand, he's a rebellious preteen who distanced himself from his family, and he wants to do his own thing. He wants space. And then there's everywhere in between. The stuff that didn't get written down, the fights between Joseph and Jesus when Jesus would rather read the Torah than help Joseph at the woodshop. Or the moments of joy when Joseph and Jesus would spend the dreidel together after dinner. Their family is complicated, just like so many of ours. In the lectionary, or the schedule that Scripture is supposed to follow, um, this Scripture is supposed to be read the first Sunday after Christmas. In Christian tradition, this is known as the Feast of the Holy Family. And it's intended to portray the family unit of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph as the ideal model for all Christians. Notice that this model doesn't require matching outfits 
quiet babies, or perfectly behaved children. The model of Christian family includes a rebellious preteen and parents who are struggling to understand the behavior and self-expression of their child. Does that sound familiar to anyone? The incarnation of God, God becoming the flesh, could have taken shape in any way, but God chose to be born into this life, into this perfectly imperfect family with a messy family lineage, including outsiders like Ruth, Rahab, and Tamar. The incarnation of Jesus in this way gives hope for all families in all states of messiness and disarray on this day. And that is good news. I listened this week to an interview with Gary Godfredson. Gary is an indigenous First Nation Canadian. In 1959, he was mandated to attend Comp Loop's Indian Residential School. His interview corresponds with news coverage of the uh, multiple mass graves that have been uncovered across Canada. These graves are around state-sponsored residential schools. Investigators are uncovering the remains of hundreds of children as young as three years old who were students at these schools. The residential school program was supported by the state and mostly run by the church. It was specifically for indigenous Canadians and intentionally designed to obliterate native culture and force children to abandon their heritage and westernize. In his interview, Godferson tells awful stories about his time at the school, things that I won't repeat. But firsthand experiences of abuse, of hatred, and downright evil. Investigators confirm that his narrative is not an isolated incident. Kids beaten because they didn't know English. Children abused by priests, monks, teachers, and nuns who worked at the school. Children dying of starvation and disease and tossed into a hole in the ground. The lives and families of so many destroyed by the work of evil. And the reason I share such a difficult story is because I want to make one crucial distinction about family and connection before I close this sermon. It's the distinction between messy and abusive. Between healthy discomfort and the violation of boundaries. The difference between humans' ability to have difficult, constructive tension and humans' ability to do evil and hurt one another. I believe God calls us to embrace the former and work against the latter. This story of Mary, Joseph, and Jesus is one of tension, but it's one of growth. At the end of this story, it tells us that Jesus increased in wisdom. And I imagine that Mary and Joseph learned just a little bit more about what it means to have a son who will be the Messiah. 
And as we see in this text, this growth is not without growing pains and stretch marks. But there are certain things that are not growing pains. There are things that are not redemptive or constructive. They are beyond messy and they are antithetical to God's love for us and the love we are called to show others. In communities, in churches, in families, the line between messiness and abuse can get blurred. The Christian church is incredibly guilty of such, and we have the responsibility to make bold distinctions between the two. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus teach us to live into the messiness of our day-to-day lives, to live into our families, our communities, and try to learn to live with one another. But God and Jesus, who care deeply about justice, about peace, about human dignity, also call us to remove ourselves and to remove others from situations of evil and oppression. I mean, that's what Jesus spends most of his adult life doing healing and saving. And it's the work that Jesus gives us to continue. And it's hard work. And it's the work, friends, that requires family. It requires a family that is large, a family that's not exclusive to sharing the same last name, the same DNA, or traditions. Rather, it's family born of the water that claims us, from the Creator who designed us. And it's the family rooted in a teenage mother, a complicated stepdad and the angsty preteen savior who grew up and taught us a new way to live. Thanks be to God.
water shows me where to run Papa let me know I'm not enough He took out the life but left me the hope the tiny ocean and besides you don't even know me that well your song is warm and coming through the wall hearts are thrown at strangers after all Let us pray. God, we thank you for family, both the families we were given and the families that we chose, the families within our homes and the families that extend beyond the walls of our home. We're thankful for the diversity of perspectives, interests, desires, and callings that reside in our families. Loving God, we thank you for purpose, purpose in conflict, healthy conflict, that everyone plays their part inside and outside the home, inside and outside the church. Give us the courage to navigate the disruptions of life that come with family. And give us the mindfulness to be still long enough to witness what you are doing in that moment with us and through us and others. Give us the discernment and patience to see the wisdom that surfaces across each generation in our families. We pray for a teachable spirit, one that humbles us to learn from each other, regardless of age, title, experience, gender, sexual orientation, belief, or anything else that we choose to separate us. Let us find and provide the support, encouragement, and guidance within our families, within this Christian community, within this world, because we all need somebody at some time to be family. And hear us now as we pray together the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I've no need to live You're to come up gone As my life turns to a song And if 
even when I treat you wrong. No, I never want to hurt our family. I would give up everything. This is not just about me. I don't know a plainer way to say it, babe. They may pay us off in fame, though that is not why we came. I know well and good that that won't heal our hearts. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. benediction, I have one quick announcement. If you have been coming to downtown church and you are newer and want to learn more about who we are, uh, we're having a Discover Downtown at my house in a few weeks. Um, information's on the website. We'd love to have you come and get to know the church a little bit better. And hear this benediction. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to leave behind the world a better way. Friends, we are a family. 
We're a family that's called to care for one another, that's called to make distinctions between messiness and abuse, and ultimately a family that's called to love God and love people. So go out into the world and may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds until we meet again. Go in peace.